great. You've been loading up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One USA NA. Welcome to Editor's Picks. I'm Zanny Minton Beddoes, The Economist's editor in chief. Each week, we select three of the defining stories from the paper. We think they are essential pieces of insight and analysis that will help inform you on the go. You can listen to them in just a moment. But first, over to one of my colleagues to tell you what's coming up. Thanks, Zanny. It's April the 18th, 2019. I'm Robert Guest, the foreign editor of The Economist. Our cover story this week scrutinises the tech unicorns, privately held firms worth over $1 billion each. With millions of users, cool brands and charismatic bosses, these firms have it all, except a path to high profits. We argue that tech entrepreneurs need less fairy dust and more realism if they want to build lasting businesses. The fire that consumed the roof of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris attracted far more attention and grief than the recent lethal floods in southern Africa. This reaction might seem perverse and heartless. In fact, it is profoundly human. And finally, a look at Pakistan's avian diplomacy. It's one of the few places where the Hubara bustard lives. And wealthy Arabs, including sheikhs and bigwigs, will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to hunt it. For Pakistan, this is a huge diplomatic advantage. But they now risk driving the bird that lays the golden eggs to extinction. These are just a sample of the stories in this week's Economist. So if you'd like to read more or listen to the full audio edition, please subscribe. Go to economist.com slash radio offer. First up, the trouble with tech unicorns. These billion-dollar businesses seem to have it all, except a path to high profits. Investors often describe the world of business in terms of animals, such as bears, bulls, hawks, doves and dogs. Right now, mere ponies are being presented as unicorns. Privately held tech firms worth over $1 billion that are supposedly strong and world-beating – Miraculous, almost. Next month, Uber will raise some $10 billion in what may turn out to be this year's biggest initial public offering, or IPO. It will be America's third biggest ever tech IPO after Alibaba and Facebook. Airbnb and WeWork could follow Lyft, which has already floated, and Pinterest, which was set to do so as The Economist went to press. In China, an IPO wave that began last year rumbles on. Thanks to fashionable products and armies of users, these firms have a total valuation in the hundreds of billions of dollars. They and their venture capital, or VC, backers are rushing to sell shares at high prices to mutual funds and pension schemes run for ordinary people. There is, however, a problem with the unicorns. Their business models. As we report this week, a dozen unicorns that have listed, or are likely to, posted combined losses of $14 billion last year. 
Their cumulative losses are $47 billion. Their services, from ride-hailing to office rental, are often deeply discounted in order to supercharge revenue growth. The justification for this is the Silicon Valley doctrine of blitzscaling in order to conquer winner-takes-all markets, or in plain English, conducting a high-speed land grab in the hope of finding gold. Yet some unicorns lack the economies of scale and barriers to entry that their promoters proclaim. At the same time, tighter regulation will constrain their freedom to move fast and break things. Investors should demand lower prices in the IPOs or stay away. Tech entrepreneurs and their backers need to rethink what has become an unsustainable approach to building firms and commercialising ideas. Today's unicorn breeding industry would not have been possible 25 years ago. In 1994, only $6 billion flowed into VC funds, which doled out cheques in the single-digit millions. Before Amazon staged its IPO in 1997, it had raised a total of only $10 million. Three things changed. Growing fast became easier thanks to cloud computing, smartphones and social media, which let startups spread rapidly around the world. Low interest rates left investors chasing returns, and a tiny elite of superstar firms, including Google, Facebook and China's Alibaba and Tencent, proved that huge markets, high profits and natural monopolies, along with limited physical assets and light regulation, were the secret to untold riches. Suddenly, tech became all about applying this magic formula to as many industries as possible, using piles of money to speed up the process. Make no mistake, the unicorns are more substantial than the turkeys of the 2000 tech bubble, such as Pets.com, which went bust ten months after its IPO. Ride apps are more convenient than taxis, food delivery is lightning quick, and streaming music is better than downloading files. Like Google and Alibaba, the unicorns have large user bases. Their core businesses can avoid owning physical assets by outsourcing their IT to cloud providers. As IPO documents point out, their sales are growing fast. The big worry is that their losses reflect not temporary growing pains, but markets which are contested and customers who are promiscuous. In the key digital monopolies, the network becomes more valuable to each user the more people use it, hence Facebook's 67% market share in social networking. The unicorn's dynamics are not as compelling. Despite subsidies, ride-sharing customers are not locked into one firm. No wonder Lyft's shares have fallen by over 20% below their IPO price. Anyone can lease an office and rent out desks, not just we work. Some unicorns have to fight other richly funded rivals and established firms. Spotify, which listed in 2018, has a 34% share of music streaming in America and is going head-to-head with Apple. Because the unicorns' markets are contested, Margins have not consistently improved, despite fast-rising sales. Managers are terrified of cutting their vast marketing spending for fear of losing customers. Many firms are scrambling to develop ancillary products to try to make money from their users, and without deep moats around their business, a permanent question mark hangs over the unicorns. If Uber really is worth 
$100 billion after investing only $15 billion or so, why wouldn't its rivals keep trying their luck or an established tech giant be tempted in? External forces will make blitzscaling harder too. The earlier generation of firms did not face many rules. Few legislators had imagined the internet, so they could charge ahead first and beg forgiveness later. The unicorns followed suit. Airbnb sidestepped taxes on hotels and Uber drove through regulations on taxi licensing. Today, a reaction is in full swing, including over digital taxes and data and content laws. The unicorn's investor circulars have pages dedicated to their legal dangers and gory regulatory risks. All this is good for consumers. Money is being thrown at them. The subsidy to the public from the dozen firms amounts to $20 billion a year. Whereas the commanding heights of the tech industry, such as search and social media, have been monopolised, the unicorns are at least creating competition in other areas. Investors, meanwhile, need to hold their nerve. It is tempting to extrapolate the triumph of Google and Alibaba to an entire new group of firms. In fact, most unicorns face a long war of attrition and soggy margins. Eventually, struggling firms may be bought, and here another risk arises. Most unicorns cap outside investors' voting rights. Uber is an exception, and many have poison pills too, making takeovers hard and constraining investors' ability to intervene if the firms do not eventually find a way to make enough profits to justify their IPO valuations. And what of Silicon Valley and China's bustling tech hubs, where the unicorn idea was dreamed up? Billions of dollars are flowing to VCs, tech founders and employees. The familiar question is how many luxury homes, philanthropic vanity projects and personal space programmes they will pay for. The urgent question is how this capital will be recycled into new technology firms. The blitzscale philosophy of buying customers at any price is peaking. After the unicorns, a new and more convincing species of startup will have to be engineered. Upwork has the world's largest network of independent professionals. So if you need a go-to designer, a video editor, or a social media specialist for six days or six months, Upwork is how. And it's basically like they're right here in your office. Except they're not here here, so they can't hear Greg's remarkably loud typing. Hey, buddy! I take it back. You can hear that from anywhere. And Upwork professionals are proven, rated, and reviewed. When you need in-demand talent on demand, Upwork is how. Next to Paris, why does a fire at a medieval cathedral provoke more global grief than natural disasters in which people actually die? What is civilization? asked Kenneth Clark 50 years ago in the seminal BBC series on the subject. I don't know, and I can't define it in abstract terms yet, but I think I can recognise it when I see it, and I'm looking at it now and he turned to gesture behind him at the soaring Gothic towers and flying buttresses of Notre Dame. It seems inhuman to care more about a building than about people. That the sight of Notre Dame going up in flames has attracted so much more attention than floods in southern Africa which killed over 1,000 arouses understandable feelings of guilt – 
Yet the widespread intense grief at the sight of the cathedral's collapsing steeple is in fact profoundly human and in a particularly 21st century way. It is not just the economy that is global today, it is culture too. People wander the world in search not just of jobs and security, but also of beauty and history. Familiarity breeds affection. A building on whose sunny steps you have rested, in front of which you have taken a selfie with your loved one, becomes a warm part of your memories and thus of yourself. That helps explain why China is in mourning. WeChat, young China's principal means of talking to itself, has been throbbing with the story. And Xi Jinping, the country's president, sent a message of condolence to Emmanuel Macron, his French counterpart, while India was largely indifferent. Tourism from India to the West is a trickle compared with the flood from China. This visual age has endowed beauty with new power, and social media have turned great works of art into superstars. Only a few, though, have achieved this status. Just as there is only ever a handful of world-famous actors, so the pantheon of globally recognisable cultural symbols is tiny. The Mona Lisa, Michelangelo's David, the Taj Mahal, the Great Pyramid and Notre Dame. Disaster too is visual. In the 24 hours after the fire started, videos on social media of the burning cathedral were viewed nearly a quarter of a billion times. Yet the emotions the site aroused were less about the building itself than about what losing it might mean. Notre Dame is an expression of humanity at its collective best. Nobody could look up into that vaulted ceiling without wondering at the cumulative genius of the thousands of anonymous craftsmen who, over a century and a half, realised a vision so grand in its structural ambition and so delicate in its hand-chiselled detail. Its survival through 850 years of political turbulence, through war, revolution and Nazi occupation, binds the present to the past. The fire also binds people to each other. The outpouring of emotion it has brought forth is proof that, despite the dark forces of division now abroad, we are all in it together. When nationalism is a rising threat, shared sadness makes borders suddenly irrelevant. When politics is polarised, a love of culture has the power to unite. When extremism divides Muslim from Christian and religious people from atheists, those of all faiths and none are mourning together. An edifice built for the glory of God also represents the unity of the human spirit. And it will be rebuilt. The morning after the fire, the many Parisians who went to the cathedral to mourn its destruction found comfort instead. Although the spire is gone, the towers are still standing, and it seems likely that the whole building can be revived. The effort to rebuild it, like the fire, will bring people together. Within 24 hours, 600 million euros that $677 million, had been raised from businesses and rich people, 
and a rash of crowdfunding campaigns started. A high-resolution laser scan of the building, carried out recently, should help. It will never be the same, but that is as it should be. As Victor Hugo wrote in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, a three-volume love letter to the cathedral, great edifices, like great mountains, are the work of centuries. Art is often transformed as it is being made. Time is the architect, the nation is the builder. And finally to Pakistan, where a bird that lays golden eggs risks being hunted to extinction. The Asian hubara is an unlikely diplomatic asset. An elusive, desert-dwelling bird, its expression suggests bad temper rather than entente. Yet the migratory chicken-sized fowl, also known as the McQueen's bustard, is considered prized sport by Arab falconers. Its meat is also thought to be an aphrodisiac. For decades, dignitaries from the Gulf have been visiting Pakistan to hunt, as the number of hubaras has dwindled in their own countries and as hunting has become dangerous in other places such as Iraq and Syria. That has given Pakistan a special opportunity to butter up Gulf potentates. Selling the hunters the required permits is lucrative in itself. In the province of Punjab, all six designated hunting grounds were used during the season that ended on March 31st. Each hunting party had paid $100,000 to be assigned a territory and another $100,000 for a 10-day permit authorizing the killing of 100 birds, as well as $1,000 for each falcon they brought with them. Hunting permits are also available in the provinces of Balochistan and Sindh. But the sport's main value to Pakistan is diplomatic. This season saw visits from kings, crown princes, ministers and governors from Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, or UAE. Pakistan's leaders called on many of these grandees. It was the least they could do, given that Pakistan is currently relying on handouts from Saudi Arabia and the UAE to fend off a balance of payments crisis. Unfortunately for Pakistan's government and Arab hunters alike, the number of hubaras is declining and hunting faces stiff opposition. The International Union for Conservation of Nature classifies the species as vulnerable to extinction. Reports that hunters have wildly exceeded their quotas heighten the concern. Imran Khan, the Prime Minister, took up the issue while in opposition, chiding his predecessor's government for venality. For dollars, we are allowing the killing of Hubara Bastard, an endangered species, he fumed. Yet now he is in power, his indignation has waned. Much of the income from permits is spent on conservation and local livelihoods, hunting advocates say. The visitors have also donated money for roads, hospitals and wells near the hunting grounds. Captive breeding programs, meanwhile, are releasing birds into the wild in an effort to replenish stocks. Conservationists are not convinced, nor are the courts. In 2015, the Supreme Court ordered a complete ban on hunting to protect the species before reversing itself months later. Lahore's High Court has set up a commission to decide whether hunting in Punjab is sustainable. Parvez Hassan, the lawyer who heads it, 
says data will dictate its recommendations. It might suggest reducing the scale of the hunting, or perhaps a complete moratorium for a couple of years. A long hiatus or an indefinite ban would be deeply unpopular with the government, he acknowledges. But the survival of the species, he insists, trumps the demands of diplomacy. That's just a sample of the stories in this week's Economist. With a subscription, you can read or listen to all of what we do. The whole paper is read aloud each week. So please subscribe. Go to economist.com slash radio offer to get your first 12 issues for $12 or £12. In London, this is The Economist. Capital One has a fresh take on banking. Now you can open a new savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Banking with Capital One means five times the savings toward your dream honeymoon or five times the savings toward your family's ultimate vacation, even five times the savings toward just feeling good about saving. It's time to make your savings goals come true. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC.